Welcome back, everybody. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Sylvester Inspires Belief Cast. Many years ago, I started doing this thing every morning that kind of sets my day, kind of helps me feel the spirit, helps me get centered. I call it my morning meds. Um, actually, I call it uh, my hour of power. It's something I've been doing for, geez, over 20 years now. And I was taught by one of my mentors back in the day. It has been the single greatest thing I've done for myself. And it's allowed me to become a better person um, in all aspects of life. And I'm just grateful that I've had the opportunity to be able to do that. As part of that hour of power, I play music in the background to kind of set the tone and set the mood. And that music that I use every single time is by Paul Cardall. And, you know, I've always wanted to meet him and to tell him thanks because it has inspired me in so many different ways. This music has made me feel like I do matter. His music makes me realize that I'm okay. And I just, I've always wanted to thank him. And today that dream comes true. I actually have Paul Cardall in my studio today. So welcome everybody, Paul Cardall. All right, welcome back, everybody. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Sylvester Inspires Belief Cast. I am so excited today. I have one of my heroes on today. His name's Paul Cardall. Welcome. So good to be with you. <laughs> I, truly, we were talking about this off, off the air, but Paul, you're one of these guys that have inspired me for years. Um, people who know me, I do this thing called my Hour of Power every morning, and your music is a part of that every single time because it invites light, energy, love, spirit, whatever you want to call it. And it's a beautiful thing. Um, I want to let our listeners know a little bit, little background on you. Uh, you're a, obviously a music composer, producer. You're a speaker, a philanthropist. Um, and the list goes on and on. You're the poster boy for the modern music industry. You're a three-time number one Billboard chart topper, which is amazing. You have your own record label, right, called uh, Stone Angel Music. Is that correct? And we'll get into that. I want to, I want to know more about that as well. Uh, you actually uh, were the recipient of a heart transplant, which we'll get into more as well. Uh, this is the one that blew me away. You have 2 billion lifetime sh uh, streams of a catalog of over 300 songs. It just blows my mind. Like, how did you have time to even do all that, right? It's incredible. Um, here's the other thing, too, that blew my mind. You have an average of 25 million active listeners every single month which is a testament to the power of your music. And which, you know, and those who know Paul, which many do, uh, you'll agree how powerful your music is. Um, you have many albums, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just name a few of them. Uh, Faithful, Worth of Souls, Saving Tiny Hearts, uh, uh, um, Songs of Praise, Sacred Piano, Primary, Sunday, and then you've got a new uh, Christmas album out. And it's yeah. it's it's coming out on Friday on November second, correct? Correct. Is this the first time you've done a Christmas album? It's the first one in thirteen years. Okay, it's been a while. So it's been a long time, yeah. and really, it was a an album called the Christmas Box that kind of got me going. Okay. Uh, Richard Paul Evans, who wrote the Christmas Box, yeah, had asked me to write music inspired by his book. Okay. Because music played a role in the stories, but it's been thirteen years. 20 years since that album came out. Okay. So 13 years and we, I'm excited about it because 
it it was all done in Nashville with the very best uh, string players. Right. And we have a couple vocal songs on there. Cece Winans. Yes. She's the most awarded yeah. gospel singer of all time and and beloved everywhere. She was oh, yeah. very She's amazing. close friends with Whitney Houston and right. just an amazing woman. And she does Oh Holy Night on this. And it's <laughs> it's so timeless. I, I wake up in the morning and I'm can't believe I have this woman on my record but wow um, and and it was produced by Jim Daniker who I call him the Aaron to Moses meaning for the last 20 years he's been the musical director for Michael W. Smith okay and kind of everywhere Michael he's a big Christian artist everywhere he's gone all around the world playing arenas Jim's the one that has been directing the music and making sure Michael has everything oh, okay. he needs. And so that's gotcha. why I call him Aaron to Moses. <laughs> there you go. Keeps, and, him, keeps uh, him where he needs to be. Amazing people back yeah. there in, in Nashville. Yeah, I watched the trailer on your website. It's paulcardall.com um, of, of, of how this all kind of came about, your, your Christmas album. It's, it's amazing. I'm excited. To, I've already pre-ordered it. Uh, so those of you who don't have it, make sure you get out there and get it. It's going to be amazing. Um, you know, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm kind of sick of Christmas music. <laughs> I mean, I've been, I'm right. 50 years old. I've been right. listening to the same Christmas music. Yeah. But so I'm excited for something fresh and new, and this is going to be something I'm going to be playing often. So, um, so you're married to, uh, your wife, Tina, correct? Correct. Yeah. And you have two kids, two kids and their names are Eden and Eliza. Eden and, Eliza. and uh, Eden is uh, 13 and Eliza is six. Right. Great. Well, yeah, yeah, you, you're you're from Salt Lake. I know you now also live in Nashville as well. So, um, and there's so much more that we we can get into, but uh, I'm just so excited. Like, <laughs> we've had some really powerful guests on, and you, you're at the top of the list. <laughs> I'm serious for me I don't because know. Again, a couple weeks ago hero. when you had yeah David Hendrickson, who is my cousin, right? And yeah, his story. What was... he went through with losing his wife. Yeah. Um, if you get a chance to watch, you know, listen to that podcast, listen because it was. He's inspiring. He really is. Yeah, I was. It's. I'm so grateful that I get to do these things because you know to hear these kind of stories are so. They're they're tragic in what happened, but they're how they survive it and move forward is so inspiring. You know, their and their story paralleled my story when you know I had received a heart transplant, and then his wife Julie needed a lung transplant. Right. So we spent a lot of time together. Talking about reality of mortality, right? And then being uh, dreamers of what happens after, right? And so we went into some really spiritual and painful. Yeah. Everything's bittersweet with all that, for sure. Conversations and uh, but but what he's endured is uh, incredible. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, I feel so, yeah. blessed to know him now. Well, so you're you're originally from here, so let's kind of talk about, you know, talk about your childhood growing sure. up, and uh, you know, and kind of how you started even playing the piano. I mean, let's talk a little bit about that as well. So, give us a little background on that. I grew up in the South Salt Lake area. Um, it's I think they call it Cottonwood Heights now. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so I grew up in that area, and my parents, I already had my three older sisters. My parents are very, um, family is everything. Okay. Very conservative, very active in their faith. 
the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And my father's job was religion specialist for KSL for a long time. So he was gone a lot with the president of the church doing stories, and then he'd report back to Salt Lake, and we'd all watch on the news. Dad's on the news. And uh, (laughs) mom would pack a good tie or you know his clothes and everything and get him ready and but then she was left home with um ultimately there were eight of us so but my dad was very very involved my parents were very involved my mother was constantly helping each one of us and uh, you know when you have a ton of siblings you share clothing and you share toys and you fight over things and you worry about how much sugar cereal you have versus the other person (laughs) because that was a rare commodity yeah um we grew up in the 80s with uh you know when there were only a couple channels on tv there was no internet yeah Uh, we uh got up my parents got us up in the morning around 6 30 to read scriptures have a prayer and go to school Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, some, I'm grateful that they did that. Some mornings it was painful. Yeah, My sure. father would put on, <laughs> he would blast through the house, uh, the tabernacle choir, right. the hallelujah chorus. And so that's how we knew it was time <laughs> to get up. And, um, I hated that song. <laughs> I bet I would have I love it. I love it. But, uh, it was, it was a reminder like, oh no, it's time to get up and school. <laughs> yeah. And my mother was an awesome cook. We never went out and ate. Uh, I don't think they could really afford taking all of us out. Okay. Um, yeah, just a lot of great memories. My, so I have four, four sisters and three brothers and, uh, just, just a lot of fun. Yeah. Hendrickson's, uh, David, their family lived behind us. Okay. So we had a lot of cousins and everybody, my, my mom's sisters and brothers all have eight to 10 kids so it's a it's a it's a lot of people that used to get together on Sunday nights at grandma's. Oh, yeah. They would have to get a three gallon <laughs> tub of ice cream, and grandpa would put a tiny scoop on and ask us if we could handle it. <laughs> so, so it was a it was a very beautiful yeah. Leave It to Beaver childhood, right? And I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. I thank God every day. Sure. For that. Well, you know. Going back, even you know, when you were born, you were born with a heart uh, condition, right? How what, what was it exactly? So, in uh, 1973, within hours after my mom delivered, gave birth to me, doctors found that I was very blue and I wasn't breathing very well. And so, they rushed me over to a children's hospital and ran tests. They called a surgeon in, that was in California from Utah. He was a partner to Russell Nelson. His name was Conrad Jensen. Okay. And he thought the case was very interesting. So he flew back from California and he operated on me when I was 23 hours old. He opened uh, on infants at the time. You'd go through the side. Okay. So I have a scar under my armpit from yeah. 23 hours when they went in and they basically found that I only had a single functioning ventricle. Oh, okay. And so they didn't expect me to live very long. They told my mom... Uh, you know, it's a miracle. He made it through the surgery, but don't take him anywhere and just, you know. There's my no mom, promises here, yeah. No, there's no pr- promises at all. It'd be a life of 
surgeries if I survived and in the hospital. And my mother constantly worried when I was sleeping in the other room in the crib how I was doing. And I can only imagine what she was experiencing and, and enduring, taking care of all of us. My father going to work, having to do his job and try to provide. Um, my father could have really excelled in his career and moved up to national network status. He was that good of a journalist, really? okay. won Emmys on regional levels. But because of my situation, they had good insurance. They didn't want to mess with it. And they sacrificed um, a lot to keep us all together in one place and wow. around family. And it was... You know, I'm forever grateful. Yeah, I bet. For what they did. It's amazing. Um, so when you were growing up, even as a young kid, did you know, you knew you had this heart condition? Yeah. Um, did it, how did that play a, a role in your life? Did it, did it hold you back? Did you, were you sad about it? Did you struggle in that kind of area or, or were you okay with it? I didn't, I didn't remember the surgery as a, as a child, but I just knew I had the scar and so... You get embarrassed when you go to the pool. Right. You, uh, but I used a lot of humor. I'd joke oh, around. Okay. Be like, you know, I got hit by a car, whatever. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. my mother and father instilled in us such great faith in a much larger plan that God has for us than just what's going on here. You know, you yeah. got a problem. They basically taught us the character of Jesus Christ Hmm. and to trust him. And it took a long time to really understand what that meant. Um, but, but it was a a miracle that I was alive. And so it was, uh, you're very special. Right. And they would use my experience, uh, and the fact that I was alive to teach all of us about faith and, and prayer and fasting, things related to, to, to my faith that are very sacred to me right. that I believe work and are very effective. Yeah. And uh, so then, but then when I was 13, I got so sick, they knew that I had a bad infection in my heart. And I was in the hospital for months and I, my, it got so bad to where my family came up to say goodbye to me. Wow, okay. I didn't know what was going to happen. And I really don't remember much about that time period. And then I recovered from that surgery, which they again said, I even heard the doctor. It's a miracle. Really? So I didn't know if I was going to grow up, live very long. I I just, one day at a time, you survive and you adapt. Then I went to school and they said, you know, you're going to have to come back next year after your eighth grade year and, and you're going to need another surgery because there's so much scar tissue. Plus, there's this new procedure called the Fontan. It's going to make you feel a lot better. Right. So I went to school knowing at the end and I went in and I had that other surgery. But I was during that year, I was very blue and my lips were purple. Girls called me purple plum. Oh, really? And at first I was like, man, why are you calling me Purple Plum? But then girls were calling me, girls were talking to me. 
So I thought, oh, that's fine. You can call so me you whatever you want. So you flipped it around. You were excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Girls were actually paying attention. <laughs> yeah, because I was just barely starting to recognize that uh, at that age. And then I had a couple kids make fun of me. I got some bullying, but I always used humor. Right. Just to joke around. Yeah. And, you know, like I had so many scars on my body that whenever I went to raging waters which was the big water part oh, yeah. little kids would look at me all funny kind of you know they're not yeah. they're confused they don't know what's going on yeah. and i'd say hey listen this is why you don't do drugs <laughs> and this is why you don't get in a gang yeah because you get you know you have to get you get scarred up and right. it's not good and so so believe nancy reagan <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, just say no just try to use yeah. humor through your yeah. pain yeah and did did you find yourself at times though when you were alone like did you were you sad did you ever you know like say why me why do i have to be going through this did you ever i never never i never as a kid ever felt anything other than this is my responsibility to go through this so that people can learn from this wow that's what i was thinking but there was a time when I on that 14 that age 14 surgery it was that they had messed up on something the pacemaker okay. they put in me uh was faulty they had to get a new one my surgeon went out of town on vacation so we had to get a different surgeon I was in a lot of pain I remember being rushed down to surgery totally drugged up telling my dad I'm so sick of all this I just want to I really just want to die right and he's like it's like I stole a candy bar. He goes, you go in there, you have an operation, and you survive. And I don't know how he got the gall to do that. Really? But he had the strength to tell me what to do. He chastised me. Really? Go survive. Really? And I did. That is amazing. I love that because it's just like, let's put it out there. This is what's going to happen. Yeah. And it's that's that's faith, man. This, I'm gonna survive this. It's scary. It was he yeah. totally had that power of intention. Yeah. You know, he put it out there. You're yep. going to survive. My parents were always, you're gonna grow up. Wow. There was never a question of. I just love that. You know. Well, that's that's part of why I call this podcast a belief cast because it's about people with these amazing beliefs. And that's just, this is the point right here. It's like something yeah. like that where here's your parents teaching you at such a young age, this is how we do things. This is how we're going to live our lives. We're going to believe, man. And this is how we're going to do it. I just, I don't know, it just chokes me up to think about it's, that they said that to you. You have to change the way you think mm-hmm. if you're going to change. Right. You can't have any doubt, meaning... For example, I hear somebody once say, it's impossible to move a mountain. You know, you can't really move a mountain. You can, it's, and I'm like, there's guys all the time up there with big Tonka truck toys moving stuff around all the time and they use it for pavement. Right. So they're doing it right now. (laughs) Yeah. So it's all perspective. Yeah. Yeah. It's all perspective. So. I love that. I'm grateful my parents are so convicted in their faith because it didn't just bring in this divine assistance. It brought in a community of believers. Yeah. And it was a rec- like recruiting an army 
not only to comfort my family, but to pray. Yeah. And when you have all that positive energy going one place, yep. and I know it works because the minute you get that miracle and the minute it's announced he survived, everyone stops praying. So you feel that. I literally, I've felt this so many times. Really? I've literally felt like all of a sudden a darkness and, and a loneliness. Yeah. And I'm like, where's that light? Where is it? Yeah. And I realized people stopped praying and now it's just me. Yeah, right. And my parents. Yeah. So anytime there's been funerals, I always say, look, they're feeling that energy right now because of the love. But the minute we put people yeah. in the ground, uh, we need to follow up. I love that. You know, it goes with, you know, one of the principles I teach my clients is where attention goes, energy flows, where we put all that. So all this attention was on you surviving this and everyone's praying and fasting and doing their thing. So yeah, you feel this. And it's it's interesting though that you actually felt when it stopped. You could actually like, okay, they're not doing that anymore. Yeah. You could feel it. And I probably felt it the most after my heart transplant when I was 36 because there was so much attention given to to my case. And even though you're in a hospital feeling completely alone at night, uh, it, when, the, when the sun comes up, you have yeah. so much love yeah. and support. But then once you get that miracle, man, I, I don't know what happened to me. I just, I was not the same person after really the transplant. And I, I got into a, the worst funk. Like you felt depressed almost? Is that what it felt like? I, 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 I know now that I was depressed, but I was, the best way to explain it is, um, for Christians, there's the parable of the the nine lepers, the ten lepers. Right. And Jesus says, "Go and you know you're healed, but you got to go show yourself to a priest, and then and right. then come back." And that was part of the law. You have to show yourself to a priest so they could publicly announce that you're healed and clean right. and can move among the people. So one of them, before he went to the priest, came back and thanked God. And God always says, well, where are the nine? You know, I healed them too, but where are they? And I sometimes think to myself, at that time I was like, I feel like one of the nine lepers and I'd love to thank the Lord because he was very intimate in raising me up right. through doctors. I mean, sure. he literally used doctors to raise me right. from the grave. Yeah. And, and I'm like, how come I can't figure out how to get that comfort knowing that I thanked him? Yeah. How do I, how do I do this? And I, and so I felt like one of the nine lepers and I started to sympathize with the nine lepers. Like there were so many handlers around Jesus. I don't know how you get through the crowd. Right. Yeah. That guy was so popular. How do you get back to him? How do you get in there? Maybe yeah. one of the nine lepers needed their mother uh, or was helping their mother and couldn't get back. Or couldn't, yeah. maybe there was another emergency. I don't know. Yeah. That's a good. Know. The yeah. scripture is they didn't come back. So I, I tend to think they just were a bunch of jerks or something. <laughs> Ungrateful. So I started to yeah. feel like a jerk. Yeah. Wow. Well, let's, so when did, uh, I mean, obviously you're an amazing pianist and, uh, when did that come into play? When did you start doing, 
you know, when were you introduced to the piano? <laughs> I used to watch as a teenager uh, friends play and watch people play. And there was a girl that I liked that could play Chopin. And I would sit and and I would go to her house and I would watch her play. Her parents thought I was interested in her. I was more <laughs> interested in watching Chopin. Chopin right. and the nocturnes and all that stuff. And I'm like, how do you do that? How do you move your fingers? I tried to play heart and soul. I couldn't play heart and soul. And I had taken piano lessons when I was eight years old. Okay. I lasted six months. I couldn't stand it. Really? The discipline of it just was like, there's, there's like football going on outside and yeah. kick soccer and, and tag and, and everything. And I don't want to be in here practicing. And my mother, she, you know, didn't keep me, playing right my sisters kept taking lessons i just gave up but as a teenager i i was i loved music i was buying records i was buying cassettes had a paper out all my money would go to a place called spanky's records and tapes on 33rd south (laughs) and i after junior high i would walk over there and i just browse through music and i would buy it and listen to it and my dad would always say, hey, we can hear the bass through the floors, uh, even though I just had like a little boom box from the 80s. Right. <laughs> and uh, I would crank it and uh-huh. listen to music, and I was obsessed with it all. But I wanted to play piano, and I had a friend who could play Billy Joel and Elton John. Oh, and wow, yeah. It was so fun to watch in heart and soul. And he was a very healthy, physical guy. Um, there was an accident... Uh, after our junior year and he got killed in a car a car hit him and i was devastated the entire everyone was devastated like because yeah. i was talking to him and now he's gone, now he's gone. The, like the next day and it made no sense to me here i am with this jacked up heart scars all over my body i'm totally unhealthy uh we're all at that age in Utah where we start thinking about whether we want to do a two-year mission trip, you oh, know, yeah, for, right. for the church. And so Dave, oh, it was so, it was so hard. His name was Dave Career, And I was devastated. I just went into the piano in my parents' living room that I had played when I was, you know, eight years old. It had been a long time. And I sat down and I, there were three notes I played and I don't know, this overwhelming spirit came through me like this warm blanket wrapped around me and told me everything's going to be fine. Really? And that he was asked to go on a mission before any of us. Okay. So it sunk through. And I started working on that song because to me the piano was a puzzle and I wanted to figure it out. There was no Nintendo or, (laughs) you know, there was no distraction. There was no internet yet. So I started working on it, and as I worked on it, I wrote a song, and I took it to his parents to play it for him, thinking, I hope I hope this is okay. I, I don't yeah. know. I don't want it to be bad, but it was my way of just, this is, and they listened to it, and his dad uh, cried. Mm. Um, but they asked me to play it again. Mm, okay. And when somebody asks you to play something and you're not saying, here, let me play for you, it's it's a big, big difference. Um, and so I would start learning more and more songs and people would ask me to play. And that was the, the insight that, oh, 
I could do this. Okay. And then I got a job at a restaurant and people were giving me tips. Oh, okay. So I, I was making money. You're like, I'm doing something <laughs> Playing I love piano. and I'm making money. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't very good. Right. But I was, you know, and then I try to, I hear songs on the radio and try to play them and I do a range with like, I got asked to play at a restaurant called The Roof. Mm-hmm. And I got a job at The Roof. It's downtown. It overlooks all Salt Lake City. And the guy said, the only thing is you can play all your music, but you just need to know happy birthday because <laughs> people are going to come in and out. You want happy yeah. Here's the most spiritual happy birthday you've ever heard of. <laughs> so it was a sad birthday. <laughs> so yeah, so that's kind of got got the ball rolling. The the ball rolling with music and music was just a way of me healing and trying okay. to deal with life. Really? Okay. So you looked at it was therapeutic for you. It's a prayer. It's a prayer. Ooh, I like that. It's the way that yeah. I connect with something that's much greater than ourselves. And for everybody, that's something different. But for me, it helps me feel closer to 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 Christ, to yeah. Jesus, to um, the Father. Yeah. Wow, that is amazing. Um, so you you know you when did you when did it go to kind of the next level? So obviously, you start playing the piano. You're you're liking it. People are requesting you to play, and you got that job. When did you know that you could actually, when you started, what was your first maybe big event when you realized, okay, this is, I'm, this is going to be my career. This is what I'm going to do for my, for my life. That's a good question. There were a lot of artists in Utah. Utah has its own culture of music. Right. We've had a lot of massive bands come out of Utah, like Imagine Dragons. Yeah. Um, you know, we have the Tab Choir, <laughs> the Osmonds yeah. from back in the day. But there's a lot of bands now that are very recognizable. Mm-hmm. Um, and back then, there were piano players that were doing sell, sold-out shows. Kurt Bester was doing sold-out shows, and he was like the Utah Yanni. Uh, mm-hmm. Similar hair. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and John Schmidt. Okay. Uh, had yeah. just started playing high schools about the time I started learning how to play piano. And um, so I want I wanted to emulate what they were doing. And as I was asked to play more and more, and I got playing in the restaurants, people would ask me if I had a CD. Okay. And it, it was expensive to make a CD because they were, you know, they were new. Right. I was doing, and so I thought maybe I'll just get a cassette. Yeah. And I've never borrowed any money for music um, up until th- that time to to do anything. And my dad said he would um, give me $400, I think it was, to go and, and make my, my an album. I called the studio that I thought was the best, and it, it's called, uh, it was where the Osmonds recorded. Okay, yeah. And I went in and I recorded 10 songs that I'd rehearsed because I wanted to get them down in an hour because they had to then, because it was expensive, it was $400 for like, it was like $100 an hour. It was ridiculous. Right, oh yeah. And I was like, man, this is so expensive. And so I went and I played the 10 songs and then the engineer mixed it and he handed it to me and he goes, here's your demo, kid. I was like, this is is my album. (laughs) Right. It's my album, I'm gonna go sell it. He's like, good luck. <laughs> and I went and I tried to get 
it in stores and tried to get distribution they're like no 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 you don't have any fans you don't have a marketing plan you don't know anything you just doing an album (laughs) right um which is what a lot of artists end up doing they just go out and make an album and think that's it so it was a matter of learning how the business works but i was already obsessed with a program that used to be like behind the music it used to be on vh1 right. it was all about how a band became successful crashed and burned and where they are now okay pretty much well that's the rock and roll yeah right so i would study <laughs> the music industry and read read billboard magazine and read everything i could get my hands on i'd read anything a music attorney had written on the structure i was always aware of new technology and so i would use that to help like websites were brand new. Right. Okay. I sound like I'm from like Lucille Ball's time <laughs> or something. Barney yeah. Fife. Back when they played football with leather helmets had, and stuff. <laughs> we had light in the night at that. You know. <laughs> yeah. oh. We had lanterns. Right. <laughs> so, so, so what's, what's interesting, I'm sure that was a difficult time and anyone who's ever done music and made it a career, they could attest how hard it is. You know, I, you know, did you ever find yourself where it got so hard where you're thinking, I'm not going to do this. I'm just going to do it, but it's it's too hard. Did you ever get to that point or did you say, no, I'm determined. I'm going to continue to make this happen. So that's a, that's a good question. I think the biggest challenge in it all was musicians don't get it, medical insurance. Mm. And I have a heart problem. Yeah. And so how am I going to do music and show up at the doctor every six months like I'm supposed to and pay thirty to $40,000 in medical bills every year as right. a musician? Right. So I was thinking, how am I going to do that? And like I'd been raised, you just put it out there that um, it, would, it would be awesome to, to find insurance and, and yeah. be able to do this and... And at the same time, I was dating uh, the girl that became my my wife. I'm in a second marriage now. Mm-hmm. She had brothers that had tried to get into the music business and were were not succeeding. Okay. And her mother was a musician um, who had cancer and ended up not surviving. So she came from a world of reality. Right. And I come from a world of dreams. <laughs> yeah. Where you make dreams reality. Okay. <clears throat> so it was a very difficult match yeah. in that situation okay. because I knew what I wanted to do. She knew what was actually a reality and would remind me. And fortunately, she got a job as a nurse. Okay. Which was absolutely incredible. <laughs> right. Because you get medical benefits and everything. Yeah. And she's a saint. She went and she did that, and it it really, really helped. Yeah. Put you in a position a, to do it. Yeah. yeah. So I was able to do it. I, I still had a couple jobs, but after my hymns album, which was my third record, I I never had another job. Wow, that's amazing. Um, how real quick? How many albums do you have now? 
After that was after your third. How many do you have total? Do you I do you know? <laughs> too many. <laughs> too many. <laughs> Yeah. I have a Christmas album. Yeah. <laughs> yep. November 2nd, people. I have a Christmas album, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Before that, uh, yeah. no, it's, it's in, it, there's a lot of albums. I think there's over 20. Yeah. And music for artists, it, it's like our journal. Like, if you listen to that album, that's like, that defines what we were processing and feeling and thinking. At that time. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so let's go. How let's talk about if that's all right about uh, when you got to that point where you needed a heart transplant. Do you mind sharing with our listeners kind of how yeah, that I came just, about? Uh, I kept seeing doctors, but when you turn eighteen, you can't go to a primary children's hospital. <clears throat> I don't know how it is now, but you couldn't go and get the care you needed. Mm-hmm. And I had a congenital defect. But most people that had what I had were not alive. They had. Okay. I I had survived. I'm the. I survived the longest in this from that era. Really. Here, okay. Living in Utah at high altitude. High altitude, the air is thinner. It's harder on your lungs. Okay. And so your heart has to work harder, and your liver, which is the backup generator for your heart, gets. So it looks like I'm an alcoholic on an X-ray. Right. You know, at the time. And so um, I just started getting sicker and sicker and sicker when I turned 33. And I was wearing oxygen all the time. And there's some advantages because I, I did get a, you know, a handicap pass and was able to get parking at Costco <laughs> and jazz games. and Yeah, front of the line at Disneyland. Went to a BYU game <laughs> and they, I, I showed my card and... They escorted me to my seat and made sure everybody got out of the way. Oh, I was yeah? like, this is kind of nice. <laughs> right. I like this. This is only in America. Yeah. So <laughs> So there's advantages. And again, you know, you use humor through it all. And I was yeah. always on medicines. But yeah, my, I just got sicker and sicker. My body was not processing protein. Okay. And it's called protein losing enteropathy. So I either needed a reconstructive surgery or a transplant unfortunately uh, there was a doctor who knew what to do because I had to go see a doctor out of my health insurance and then he would have to send the test over to the to the, the hospital that had my insurance and then he'd get the results back like a week later okay it was messed up yeah it was so messed up yeah so finally she came, my cardiologist, my adult cardiologist, and she started seeing me. She's like, you need a transplant. And other doctors were like, well, you get a transplant, you're not, you're going to die. She's like, you do the revision they want you to do, you're going to die. I'm like, well, die plus die equals survive. <laughs> so, yeah. Or resurrection. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to live my life after Lazarus. So if you could just you right. know, dial that in. Yeah. I always tell people that when when I die, the first person I'm going to go ask a question to, yeah. Lazarus. La- right. Lazarus. Yeah. So after he did that for you, how many how many <laughs> speeches did you have to give to right. congregations? Right. <laughs> He's like, so, I, I was book solid. <laughs> yeah, he he'd spread himself then. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, I mean things just went downhill. They just yeah. got horrible. Yeah. I couldn't work. I. 
I, I couldn't perform anywhere. I, I couldn't keep Facebook. Well, Facebook was brand new. I couldn't keep social media up. I, and so my, I, and I was very private about it. And then mm-hmm. I realized if I'm going to put food on the table, I need to start telling my fans what's happening. What's going on, yeah. And and, and get a little sympathy because we need the money right now. Mm-hmm. And that was around the time that all the musicians in Utah that are doing benefit concerts all the time came together and rallied and did a benefit concert for our family. Right. And raised a ton of money. Fortunately, we ended up being able to use the insurance so we took all that money that was remaining and we put it over to Salt Lake Community College and created a scholarship for other kids like me that have so many medical bills they can't go to college really so we wanted them even if they're gonna die to get an education because I believe you take that knowledge with you right so so it's better to be continually trying to get an education is that what your record labels um, does that have anything to do with it? Is that or is that different? The, the you mean the title? Yeah, the the what was it? Uh, Stone Angel Music. Stone Angel Music. Stone Angel. The Stone Angel is a statue. It's a fictional statue that was put in the Christmas box. Oh, okay. Where okay, parents so it's a there. and it's a <clears throat> statue that's in a lot of cemeteries that have been put in cemeteries for parents that are had no place to. There's no grave for them to go to because their child was stillborn okay, or born too early and taken and they don't have a place to, to mourn their, the passing okay. of their child. So I wanted my record label to be named after the Stone Angel because the music is a resource to help you heal. Gotcha. Okay. So different from what the, what you were doing. So, okay. I didn't know if it was yeah. tied in together. Okay. Yeah. And that was created, I think. Ten years before that. Okay, so you do this at Solid Community College, and uh, w- what a great thing to to give back! What a way to yeah, they to all give did back. it. I mean, they 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 yeah. raised the money, and then we just channeled it where it belongs. Where it needed to go. Yeah. We threw money in there later. Um, we did a concert after I survived, and we took all that money as well. Yeah. And so we created an endowment. So it's an ongoing scholarship every year. Yeah. So obviously you had the heart transplant and it was this, it was a, a success. <laughs> Here you are. Huge, yeah, <laughs> huge. There's a picture. I'm sitting in the intensive care with hundreds of tubes going in and out of my body and my cardiologist is looking at me like, like it's alive. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. The, pic, the look on her face really? is like she cannot believe it. Really? Yeah. Amazing. Um, so that that uh, had to have been. So you get done with that, and probably did it make you look at life even even more differently you had before, or was this just you expected it, and so you just kept moving forward, or or did it kind of make you look at things differently? I expected to survive, but I had to get to a point before that miracle to where, because we waited a long time, 385 days, I had to get to that point where I was willing to let, I was willing to do whatever God wanted me to do. If that okay. meant die, die. Yeah. I was trying to survive because I had a child. Sure. And 
my mindset back then was whenever you want me, Lord. My mindset now is not right now. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Because I just survived. I've got a healthy heart for the first time in my life and I want to enjoy everything he's got here for us. Right. So I always, in my prayers, I always joke with him. Hey, remember when uh, the guys told your son, you know, where are you going to go when you're when you're gone? And Jesus said, to, where, or, where would you like to go when I'm gone? And <laughs> a couple of them were like, hey, we want to come where you are. Yeah. And then John didn't say anything. And John just sat there. He's like, Jesus is like, what's the matter? He's like, I don't really want to come yeah. where you are i want to stay here and stay here. tell everyone about you yeah so i always say hey <laughs> i like the john thing <laughs> yeah i like to use the music as a tool to help people right find what they're looking for yeah i would imagine you have a lot of people reach out to you all the time and the impact that your music has had on them and i don't take any credit for it because i think i really do feel that it's beyond me Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to to go through life and explain emotions that I'm experiencing through music. Right. And I put it out there because I want people to feel the love of God. And that comes everybody feels it different. Right. But music taps into an uh music is not the one that heals you. It music creates an atmosphere that allows you to do whatever you need to do to feel what you need to feel. And I think through the music, God is, is basically saying, I care about you. Right. Wow. That's beautiful. Is, have you ever, you know, and I'm sure, I think I know the answer to this, but (laughs) have you ever played something? And when you got done playing, you were just like that, that whole thing was just inspired. (laughs) And you probably have that several times, but I don't, I think there there was a couple times where you're playing a melody and you just know that this is like a message for somebody. Yeah. I was asked to <clears throat> write a hymn by one of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints senior apostles because he wanted his name is David Bednar and he told me that he wanted to get a message out to the members of the church mm-hmm. that that God is a very personal personal God that he knows you individually because they always you know because when you go to these big conferences it's all collectively right and they're talking to us collectively instead yeah. of individually so he wanted to make it very clear that when Christ suffered he suffered for you gotcha that's awesome. And that moment was all for you. And you can actually claim that and, and feel that and know that. So he wanted a, a song written, and, and I was thinking, oh, my gosh. Yeah. <clears throat> I, how do I write for that? <laughs> right. Yeah. So I beat no myself pressure. up <laughs> trying to come up with this Chopin. Right. I wanted this revolutionary piece of music, Hallelujah Chorus, you know. Yeah. How do I get that played every morning for fathers to wake their kids up? And so, right. so I just worked at it and worked uh, at it. And I could not do it, and I was so discouraged. I think I was more discouraged about that than a heart transplant really? because uh, I wanted it to to have an impact that he was expecting. 
Right. So I went into his office. I'm like, listen, I, I'm not getting anywhere. I don't know that I'm the right guy. Mm. He said, oh, you're the right guy. I said, well, then can you send a message that I need <laughs> the song? And he, right. goes, he said, well, did you do everything I asked you to do? Mm. He wanted me to review the lyrics with my wife uh, from scripture that she doesn't necessarily believe in. Oh, okay. Because she's a Catholic. Right. And how do I get her to read scripture that comes from my culture? And <laughs> I put that off because I know she's not going to touch that. Right. Finally, I, you know, I came back and she said, well, what did David tell you? Because they were on kind of a first name basis. What did David tell yeah. you? Well, he told me I didn't do everything I asked I was supposed to do. She goes, well, why not? Isn't he your priesthood leader? <laughs> right. I'm like, yeah, because she's very, ad she advocates, you, you need to go be, you need to go to church. Do you your need thing, to, yeah. You, if you say you're a priesthood guy, you need to be a priesthood guy, and I expect you to be that. Because coming from her Catholic faith, a priest, I mean, that's very, that's a big deal. Yeah. Very big deal. Sure. So if we claim that, you better live it. So she's basically saying, well, why didn't you ask me? Uh, uh, he, I said, because he wants me to review the lyrics and the lyrics are in the Book of Mormon. She's like, well, why didn't you ask me? I said, because he, I didn't think he wanted to read yeah. that book with me. She goes, well, we're doing this for him. And you need to get it done. <laughs> she, she's a lot like my father in the sense of yeah. get in there and get it done. And get it done. She's a yeah. tough, tough, amazing right. woman, worked on Wall Street for, for 13 years oh, okay. and, and uh, left that to go because of 9-11, she was there in New York on 9-11. Okay. And changed her whole lifestyle over to nutrition and health and went to California and worked for Saddleback Church, which is one of the mega churches, and did mission trips to rescue women from sex trafficking. She did micro-financing trips in Sri Lanka. And so <clears throat> very spiritual, very, very good woman. Right. And so... Um, yeah, after that, I did what he asked me to do. And so in the middle of the night, I had all this energy, and I went right, I drove to the studio. I sat down, I started playing this melody that was like, I, I felt like I was playing a nursery rhyme because it was so ridiculously simple. Right. And I recorded it, and I, I forwarded it on to, to, to Elder Bednar, and I got a call at 10 o'clock. I was at the grocery store. This was in the in the morning. He goes, "This is great. This is the one. This is exactly what. This really? is the melody. Come in and let's figure out how to put it all together now." Uh -huh. And so that was a really exciting, challenging, soul-searching. Oh man, it sounds like it. And I got to understand through that process the value of my wife's relationship with God. Yeah her loyalty, her commitment to him. It's, I mean, I want to be her. Wow. Yeah, you get emotional when you talk about that. Oh, yeah, she's, yeah. she's, yeah. What a blessing. What a blessing. That's amazing. Um, I, I got a few more questions for you uh, that I want to ask. And then, uh, you know, I mean, obviously you've, you've written many, many songs and, played many, many songs. 
Is there one that you like the most out of, I mean, is there one that stands out to you that you just love? This is the one I love the most or, yeah. or, or they all kind of, you know, have some meaning to you. Everyone is unique and different, but there's one song that I arranged and it comes from a 30 second melody that Michael Giacchino wrote for a TV show called Lost. Mm. And in that show, all these people are on this island and they don't know if they're dead or, or alive. And it was happening while I was waiting for my heart. Okay. And so I would watch these from the hospital and it was the final season. <laughs> yeah. And I know this is ridiculous, but the final episode was happening and I was like, I gotta survive so I can find out what happens on Lost. <laughs> right. Yeah. And sure enough, I got called into surgery. And I survived. And then we you know, a lot of deep things happened, a lot of spiritual things happened, a lot of sacred things happened. And then I got to see the final episode of Lost and again there was this melody and it's this little melody that is played every time somebody dies and you know they're actually gone. Okay. And so I went to the piano in the children's hospital because I was able to go in as an adult okay. and be there and get my surgery. And I went to the piano with my oxygen once I got out of the intensive care and I sat at the piano and I just started playing that melody. And I turned it into this whole piece of music and it just was so moving it's called life and death and it's so moving and so stirring and then we had the strings and everything to it and it's probably the most downloaded song in my repertoire yeah it's it's been i would say i would say about 300 million downloads wow of that song streaming and downloads it's uh that's it's, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's just you know, powerful. that I've listened to that song probably a thousand times. Wow. Honestly. And I've even seen the video and it shows you in the hospital at times and, you know, through that whole process. And um, it really takes you there. Kind of oh. helps me, you know, obviously seeing it too, but yeah. It's such a beautiful, beautiful piece. In that video, is you see my ba my, my younger brother. And while I was waiting for my heart transplant, my younger brother, who was 32 and going to the university, died. Yeah. Yeah, he, he, he experienced uh, an accident with a police officer and a taser. Oh, really? And uh, okay. it ended his life, the taser. Oh, wow. So that that was the other thing I was dealing with, waiting for the transplant. Oh, I, okay, I didn't put that together. Wow. And uh, so life and death kind of had a, a, a lot of thought about him. I couldn't really grieve because I needed to survive and I waited until after my transplant oh, wow. to grieve and that's when everything just went downhill, right. depression, loneliness, and I just didn't feel like I was a very good person. I felt ungrateful, unworthy, and I really was getting beat up by a lot of a lot of thoughts and feelings and feeling undeserving 
And so my marriage just, it just, it just fell apart. Wow. And we mediated in really good terms. Okay. And we remain very close friends. And the miracle of who she married and who I married, it's almost like a fairy tale right. ending to, to divorce because everyone yeah. is <clears throat> so, I don't know, everyone's just good. Yeah. And that's it, amazing. Yeah. It's, it's a really interesting, unique situation. Wow. You know, it's just interesting hearing your story, just even from when, when you were little, just the, it was like tragedy, blessing, tragedy, blessing, tragedy, yeah. blessing. Uh, it's amazing how that works out. And what I love too, though, Paul, about you is just your attitude through this whole thing. And I know you talk, you know, about your parents and how they instilled in you to believe and have faith and, and to trust and how that's just kind of carried over and you're doing it now. And I'm sure yeah. you've probably taught that to your own children. Um, which is amazing to me. Um, there's so much we can talk about, um, but there's just a, we're gonna we gotta wrap this up here in just a minute. But uh, I wanted to ask you a question. Well, wondering if you could maybe help our listeners a little bit. If there's someone, some advice you could give someone who might be listening to this today that is struggling or who's having a hard time, whether it's because they're struggling in their own faith or if they're just going through a difficult time or they have a family member who's going through waiting for a heart transplant or whatever, what advice could you give them at this time that would be helpful to help them through this? I think from my experience, having been in death's door and sometimes in the hallway past that door, I first would let people know that I have no doubt that there is an afterlife. But we shouldn't be in a hurry to go there. Right. Because they'll just put you to work. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so I've had several friends take their lives. My donor took his life. Mm. And I'm alive as a result of somebody's suicide. Oh, really? Okay. And I had a hard time wrapping my mind around that, and I thought to myself, well, my brother helped me understand that Jesus sacrificed himself, too. He's the biggest organ donor of all. Wow. So I think we need to recognize that there's life after death and that whatever, that this life was meant to be challenging. Because we've right. never had a physical body before. They're not easy. And then there's a lot of pressure to be a certain way. And a lot of, there is constant lies being purported about what happiness is. And um, so I guess my advice would be is to plant, plant in your heart and root and, and, really bury this deep and get really rooted in knowing that you're valuable. Yeah. Love that. You are so valuable. That is why people come to your rescue, even though you hate them mm. because yeah. they care about you. They know you're valuable to society. Um, I love that. 
I also think that you're so valuable that a God would die for you. And he did. Wow. I love that. So most of all, if you don't feel like you have any faith, don't worry about the faith. Plant the hope. And then just live each day. Survive and adapt. Yeah. <laughs> Laugh a lot. Yeah. And find good people to be around. The type of people you want to be like. Yeah. Not the type of people you feel better than. Mm. I love that. Yeah. You. What do they say? You're the average of the four people you hang around the most. You know? love, yeah. That's so. what I mean. So raise your raise your bar there for sure, and I love what you said too. I mean, great great advice, great great uh, challenge for all of us. Um, but how you use humor through this too, you did that a lot, kind of to ease some of the pain in the moment. So let's just I'm gonna have fun with this. Yeah. It is what it is. I'm dealing with it, and I'm gonna have this. Uh, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna have fun with it. Yeah, I love that uh, about you as well. It's not always easy to be, you know, laugh. Um, you got to get a good friend or a good spouse to right. joke around with, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah, that's I think the other thing is you got to create adventure. Like in my marriage, what I didn't do in the previous marriage, I do now. My wife will like, we have like kind of, it's, it's called a 72 hour kit. Okay. So I may grab that or she may grab mine and we're going to go like, I'll surprise her. Hey, we're going to a hotel tonight. Right. Just a random hotel. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's gonna cost, but I'm investing in my relationship. Yeah, I like that. Because I didn't invest as much as I I wanted. I didn't know I was naive. Now, you know, sometimes we have to learn hard from hard loss. Hard loss to, is where we to learn. make yeah. things better. Yeah, yeah, it goes with uh, you know life happens for us. Yeah, you know we go through these things. It's for a reason, and a lot of times it's to wake us up. Snap right. out of it. Snap out of it. <laughs> C.S. Lewis always said, it's almost like God wants us to, he wants us to grow up. Right. And sometimes it feels like we go to the door and he just slams it in our face. <laughs> right. C.S. Lewis, man, he has a way with words, right? You know, I wanted to tell you uh, my favorite song of yours. Um, it's on your primary album and it's the bonus track. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, where you can hear the, kids playing on the playground and it's going to choke me up to talk about it but it what I love about it 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 takes me back to when I was that kid when I believed in everything I loved myself I loved everything I had faith as big as the universe when I was that age and it just takes me back to that and then and then to hear it play and then it ends with hearing those same kids again on the playground and it truly is. I've probably listened to that 2,000 times. I'm not kidding. Wow. Wow. That's <laughs> it's, so beautiful. It's seriously one of my favorites. Uh, I mean, there's many many more. Um, I could keep you here all day, but I won't do that to you. But that would be selfish of me, and I, I really would love to rub shoulders with you more and yeah, more. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, hope we can do this maybe again. And um, I want to just tell my listeners, uh, you know, if you don't know about Paul, which I'd be surprised, but uh, – you know, he has a website, paulcardall.com. Um, is there an, is that the best way to kind of get to know you better if they don't know yeah. you? Is that the best way to, 
to know. Yeah, I'm on social media. There's Instagram and yeah. Facebook, and but my website you will get you access to all that stuff. Yeah, come right. come f- friend me, as you say. Yes, so I guess the <laughs> right. millennials say. Right, friend me. Yeah, friend me. Um, tag me, dude. And then again, uh, another reminder: your Christmas album's coming out on Friday. Yeah. Um, best way to get that is is that through iTunes and. Yeah, wherever that, you like to get your music, wherever it is, stream yeah. it, want to steal it, whatever you want to do. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Okay, there you it's go. all relevant. It's all relevant. You yeah. know, it's like if somebody stole my scriptures once out of my car, I was like, well, guess they needed them. Guess they needed them. <laughs> Hope they're reading them, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, um, Paul, I want to thank you so much. You truly are an inspiration to me and to millions of others around this world. Uh, you're definitely here for a reason. Um, despite all the trials and and the close calls and the and you know actually happened to have a heart transplant where they didn't know it was even going to work and uh but truly you know when you listen to your music there's a reason why because you are helping so many people thank you uh actually you know when i'm when i'm going through it and i would imagine others too as you i i just i love myself more after i listen to your music and i do feel that love of god and the spirit and it's 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 a powerful thing, and uh, I'm just grateful that um, that I I know your music, but now I'm sitting here across from you. It just blows my mind. Um, well, it's, truly, it's, I'm I'm thrilled and humbled to be part of this. Um, what you're doing is so important and so valuable to help people understand how valuable they are. Yeah, and and to recognize that everyone is struggling which is part of the reason why we need to have these conversations right. and work through it. Sure. Don't try to be something you're not. You need to let people know if you're in pain. Right. It's so important. Yeah. That's a, that's a great uh, thing to say. And yeah, there are many people out there who are struggling. Um, you know, you can reach out to Paul on his website or, you know, via social media and myself as well, as you guys know this by now. Um, Please uh, obviously download this po- uh, belief cast. Send it out to everyone and everyone you know, especially those that might be even struggling that will be inspired by Paul's message. If you don't have his music, which would, again, surprise me, please download some of his stuff. It's amazing. It will set the tone for your day, for your home, for your family and friends. And so, I just, again, thank th- you. Paul, thank you. Truly an honor. And uh, listeners, thank you for your support and uh, for Helping me, even you know, I'm trend. This is now trending on iTunes, which I'm so grateful for, and I uh, couldn't do it without our listeners. So, um, thanks for everyone, and uh, thanks to God and this uh, experience that I had with Paul today. So, thank you, Paul. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay. Thank you, everybody.